stepping of this man, Luke Johan. Bounce off from McNulty, and away he goes! Harry McNulty! Knight gets away, Knight, up to the 22, he won't be caught! And welcome back to the podcast. It is episode 12, and once again, I am joined by the ever-present Luke Trahan. No Harry McNulty again this week. The man is in Vancouver preparing for this weekend's action. Doctor, 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 how are we doing? I'm very well, thank you. Had uh, a little bit of a break last week, went to Shargao, one of the Filipino islands. It's Chinese New Year here in Hong Kong, uh, and quite a bit of Asia. And uh, it's essentially like their Christmas, but times Christmas by two and it is like the biggest celebration festival um, around. Uh, So in Hong Kong over the weekend, they had a million uh, different tourists and visitors come in. And and the general idea is that you come and spend time with your family or you go somewhere to spend time with your family. But it goes on for like a week and a half, two weeks, everything just shuts down. So if you want to try and get any business, any work, anything done here in Hong Kong, it is pretty much impossible. Um, And then, yeah, basically all the expats uses a chance to get away for a long weekend so we went to Shargao uh, for basically like a surfing chilled out holiday which was a uh, great crack absolutely loved it with a group of about seven or eight of us that sounds sounds epic is there much alcohol involved in Chinese New Year is it more like a family festival and just celebration of enjoyment and being in each other's presence um I think it's I think it's way more family um I, and or to be honest I think they keep what goes on uh, behind closed doors anyway with their family so I don't know maybe it's like British Christmases where some families get plastered some don't I, 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 re- I genuinely just don't know don't know the answer to that one fair enough and what what animal is it this year yeah it's the dragon and I think it's the wood dragon so you have an animal and then you have like a an element so it's a it's a wood dragon um, and if you want to greet people and say happy new year you say kung hei fat choi in uh Cantonese um so yeah if anybody wants to make a Cantonese person smile over the weekend just say that to them nice yeah the heavenly stem jaya representing yang wood so a wooden dragon would be pretty shit though wouldn't it like because if it breathes fire wouldn't it just set itself on fire yeah I, I don't know whether there is a magical spiritual sense to it as well so maybe it's flame retardant or something I don't know yeah maybe it's been plastered in something like Ron Seal. Yeah, but we've got a, we live right next to a temple uh, on the, at the end of the road we live on and you want to see the queues out of the door for that over the whole like four or five days. It's it's like crazy. I'm not under, un, like uh, over-exaggerating when I'm saying that queues have been about 500 meters long for about four or five days. It's gone like up our street, turned a corner, up another street, turned another corner, up another street. Um, and just then... Uh, or the culture here they seem very very happy just to queue i know we queue a lot in britain but they are just more than happy to jump in the back of a queue i think there's points even us as brits would be like no chance but they will wait hours in a queue and obviously this is um the for the chinese new year but equally there's a mr whippy van down on the waterfront just selling like 99 cone ice creams and again that will always have like a couple of hundred meter queue any day of the week out of it um and i'd be like well i know what a mr whippy tastes like maybe that's people's first time but i just would not be i would i don't know what would get get me in a queue for that would be 500 meters long maybe a few hours 
The other thing from uh, Chargard, I became, became a professional surfer, snapped my first surfboard um, on some waves. Um, it's unsure whether the board had been snapped previously and it just snapped again. Um, but they dropped us and a few of the boys. I've done a little bit of surfing. I can get up and go across the waves. Some of the lads, this was like lesson number two or three. And um, we had, there was like five instructors there between uh, seven of us, eight of us. And four of them were like, no, we can't go in here. And the one I was with um, on the boat anyway, he was like, yeah, in we go. Um, so the boys all jumped in and there were some big old waves. And then I just caught, got caught badly in one of them and um, felt just like the leash go really like slack. And I was like, oh, the board's just come off. And then I came up and it was just completely in half with the other half going uh, down towards the rocks at the end of the end of the break. Um so that wasn't that much fun. But um, when I got back on shore, they were like, oh, you're a pro surfer now. You can join join the gang. Do you get to keep the board or what was left of it? Absolutely not. They One of the lads jumped in a boat. He went round the break, jumped onto like the little island, grabbed the other half. Um, and then I had to pay a little bit towards helping getting it fixed, which I'm pretty sure has already happened to it once. But I don't know how they're going to do it. Like the wooden... Um, stem that runs down the center of the board that was completely broken in half and i was like i i know some people are pretty good with technology now but i don't know what uh what's going to fix that you you've been done over mate it's a supply like they they say you're a pro surfer but every week someone snaps that board and you get more money <laughs> yeah. and they keep on they keep on remaking it Hundred- oh, another pro surfer snapped the board yeah <laughs> to be fair though they're so good with their lessons and they they literally don't charge you enough for the lessons of how good it is for two hours so i i didn't really have uh too much um yeah it wasn't too hard to pay uh towards that because they do such a great job down there um and yeah highly recommended as a place to visit um if you do go to the philippines or in you're in that neck of the woods um but speaking of traveling anyway i'm uh, i'm very keen to hear about uh while you've been away for the pod for an episode how was how was uh your big trip yeah i've been in uh, tanzania and i've successfully climbed the U the world's highest freestanding mountain and Africa's highest mountain. So I was over there for about 12 days uh, and I did an eight day trek up to the summit of Kilimanjaro. So yeah, pretty awesome experience. Uh, Successfully got to the top. Few issues along the way, but yeah, awesome experience and got really lucky with the weather. We did the Lamosha route, which is one of the more beautiful routes, I believe. It sort of takes seven to eight days and it sends via the west side of the mountain. So we started at altitude of 2,100 meters and it took us sort of seven days to get up to the summit and then one day back down. So we were staying in tents every night. And basically what happens is you carry your own day pack and then you have these incredible porters who are just machines that carry your bag and then all the kit. So it's basically like a traveling circus. It's unbelievable. They carry... Your tent, sleeping kit, sleeping gear, cooking tent, cooking gear, tents for themselves, sleeping gear for themselves, like a mess tent, tables, chairs, everything gets carted up the mountain. So you're walking up and they come running past with these like bags, some of them balanced on their necks, some of them on their backs. And then by the time you get to the camp, it's all set up, ready to go. And then you basically just pack your bag and unpack it. And then you you set off and then they come running past you again to the next camp and so forth and so on and so forth. So yeah, got really lucky with the weather, bit of drizzle, but mostly clear skies. And yeah, unfortunately, I picked up a bit of an illness on day five. There was a bit of a virus going around camp and I, I woke up in the gulag, mate. I had the Dementor circling, 
I could barely eat a flapjack at breakfast, so that was pretty tough. Oh um, god, it must have been but, it must have been bad if you couldn't get the flapjack down. I know, honestly, it was pretty pretty tired. So, but yeah, summit day was pretty brutal. Um, the good thing about Killy, it's not a technical hike, and literally anyone can do it. Um, but the more training you do, the easier it is. You know, there was two people in my group that lacked quite a bit of fitness and. They ended up summiting, but it took them a long, long time. I saw a 79-year-old woman walking it at one point. She didn't get to the summit, but she had a good attempt. And there was a bloke in my group who became the first person ever to walk up and down Kilimanjaro backwards. Um, work that one out. Wow. What, uh, what a brilliant thing to tell the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, he became the third person to get to the summit backwards, but he came, became the first person to get down Oh, backwards. that must have been... So in in Hong Kong, there's loads of uh, the trails up the peaks and the mountains, and it's honestly nuts how many people you see walking down backwards. I think it's to do with when people have had knee problems, but honestly, if you walk up, you are guaranteed to see at least two people trek down backwards. And some of these slopes are literally like, uh, they're they're steep as anything. I don't know why I was doing a hand gesture on a podcast there. (laughs) Yeah, mate, I I tried it for like... 30 seconds I was like how has he done this for seven well eight straight days fair play to him and obviously when he got to the summit I was like well done he's like no I gotta get back down now and that must have been the hardest part so that was that was pretty pretty incredible for him I I couldn't do it myself but fair fair play to him but the summit day was savage Um, basically we hiked up from an altitude of 4,000 to 4,600 meters over four hours in the morning so we left camp at like nine o'clock got to camp for midday then we had a bit of lunch, had a nap, woke up six o'clock, had some food, went back to bed. And at midnight, we started our trek to the summit. But we had two people in our group that are extremely slow. So they set off at 10 p.m. They didn't get to the summit until 10 a.m. So it took wow. them 12 hours to walk seven kilometers, uh, 1,200 meters of elevation gain. So that's pretty much like climbing Ben Nevis in the UK. But obviously, when you're at the height of Killy, 5895, oxygen so obviously you've got a significant less amount of oxygen so we set off just past midnight i got to the summit just before 7 a.m so it just took me just under seven hours but i was doing videography for the group so i looked at my strava and i was only moving for three hours 30 so quite a lot of stopping time not saying i i I didn't need that because honestly my lungs were sucking diesel you know it was pretty horrible but yeah, these zigzags going up the summit just seemed to yeah. go on forever. Uh, and then summit, incredible, clear day, uh, beautiful views, snuck the drone up, uh, which uh, some porters Sa- weren't too happy sounds about. Ali- sounds illegal, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, sorry, I put the Insta360 up. That's what I did. I threw it up really high. Um, but I was like, get me off this mountain. So I actually ran back down to camp in about 90 minutes. I just got the... I got the speed, the speed, speed demons on, and you just went, sort of legged it down the mountain. What did they say? There was some freshly boiled eggs down at camp, if uh, first come first serve, and you were gone. Oh, <laughs> oh, I had to get off there. I was like, I've been on this mountain for nearly well eight hours at that point. I was just like, get me off. So, yeah, yeah. But then, no, uh, we once we got back down to the camp, we then had to go down a further couple of k, but we had to wait for the other people to get off. So we didn't depart until like five p.m. Then we do another four k down to the next camp, and then the following day we had to do fourteen k off the mountain. So wow. yeah, incredible, incredible. Uh, like be- I would recommend it. Um, just yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place. How um how come it's a single standing mountain? How did it form? 
Did you find it's that? It's a volcano, I think. It's a volcano. It's a volcano. Um, yeah. So there's actually three craters, um, the highest one being Ururu Peak. Uh, we actually climbed one of the older ones, which is, I think, there's two dormant ones now. We detoured via one of them, which wasn't that high, maybe 4,000 metres yeah. uh, to acclimatise. Um, and then the other one is called Moenzi, which again is sort of extinct. But this one it is dormant, which means it can erupt, but it hasn't had any significant activity in hundreds of years. And they don't think it will have much significant activity, but it was pretty awesome. Like you walk up to the crater rim and everyone thinks they've made the summit, but you're actually a kilometer away. Oh, so everyone's yeah. like crying. Everyone's got the sign that says Stella Point. I think it's 130 meters below. The summit, then you got to walk around the crater for a further K, but you've got all the glaciers up there, which is pretty incredible. Um, but the temperature difference, like you start off in the rainforest, you go through five different zones. So you go wow. through like heather moorlands, you go through like the Arctic zone. You, yeah, five different zones, incredible. So I was actually wearing shorts every single day apart from summit day. Um, so yeah, it's, it's their winter, obviously, but you're so close to the equator. But yeah, beautiful country, really recommend it. But the porters are on a different level and you yeah. just could not do it without them. Do you, mad, mad people. I was going to say, do you think if you had to carry everything you needed to get to the top, you could have done it? No, not, no not possible. No. Oh, fair. No chance. Well, think about it. You've got to take eight days worth of food. Um, you've also got to take your tents. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do it by yourself. But the, I looked up the record for going up and down it. <laughs> Six hours, 25. What? So they just ran. Some guy, they just some, ran up it then, yeah. did they? Yeah, some geezer from I think like Switzerland or something ran up it and down it in six hours twenty five. I was like, that's that's outrageous. That's quicker than it took me to walk the seven k up to the summit. <laughs> that's crazy. I love uh, with anything like that, isn't it? There's always just someone who's taking it too far. Um, that's just mental. Six hours. Wow. Um, and you you did it as part of a tour group, didn't you? Is is any more or similar or doing the same trip again in, in the in the pipeline? Potentially, yeah. Legend Expedition. So uh, it's two ex-military. One of them I met at Kendall Mountain Festival. Lovely bloke. So they brought me involved, brought me all into the team to do some videography. Um, potentially going to do a few other different trips to maybe Iceland. But yeah, I'll be creating some content for them off the back of this trip. So I actually did a two-camera interview at 4,700 metres, which was quite cool. I uh, did a few more interviews back at the hotel. But yeah, creating content for them, uh, images, video, and also content for myself. But yeah, potentially a couple of trips coming up in the future, maybe an Iceland cycle. I'm not sure, still in still in, dis- in discussions. But yeah, still recovering from this. I had a, had a pretty bad chest uh, on day five, like I said, and I was coughing up all sorts. But finally recovered now and uh, time to put the feet up for a bit and, and chill out. Unreal, yeah, no. Well, uh, well deserved. Cheers, mate. Right, should we crack on into the episode? Yeah, let's go. Uh, We'll start with some news. Um, Samurai RFC have rebranded as Shogun RFC. Formed in 1996, they are arguably one of the most iconic Invitational Sevens teams. And although they don't have a huge social element that comes with touring, they do provide incredible pathways and opportunities for both emerging young players and coaches to develop and grow. 
Um, thoughts on that, Doc? Because you've obviously you've got a lot of history samurai. Uh, you've toured with them a lot. They are obviously an iconic side. Uh, yeah, like I I owe a lot of the starts of my career to samurai. Uh, I did loads of invitational tournaments with them around the UK, and then was lucky enough to go overseas and play for them in places like the Safari Sevens. Um, I got to play with people like Carlin Isles when he first came out, um, along with so many other legends of the Sevens game. Um, and I just, they were, I, I always loved Sevens from a really young age from playing it in school, but Samurai was what really cemented it for me as um, something I wanted to pursue seriously. And, and luckily I did end up going on to be a professional. Um, and I think there's loads of case studies from Samurai like myself, where at 17, 18, uh, they pick you up, you play a load of tournaments, you play against some of the best players in the world, you get that bug. And then within the next couple of years, you're playing on the international circuit. So um yeah like there's some of my favorite memories in rugby is playing for samurai and um i know terry's let go of the company i sold the company which is why they've rebranded as shogun um and i think it was just to enable a new um uh clothing manufacturer to come in and be able to sponsor the team uh, and it's in keeping with the history of the samurai apparently when the samurai stopped uh the shogun took over that was the new name Fair enough. Yeah, uh, they got Umbro as their kit manufacturer, but yeah, they're kind of stepping away from that because Samurai has become its own clothing brand. I googled the word Shogun. Um, apparently, it's a military ruler or dictator spanning the period between 1100 to 1800. Shoguns were usually the de facto rulers of the country, so I'm not sure if they're trying to be dictators, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure there either. <laughs> Yeah, literal translation would be commander-in-chief of the expeditory force against the barbarians. There we go. Fair. So any any barbarian teams out there, the shoguns are coming for you. Yeah, Sevens teams always have quite cool names. I was just thinking there, can you think of any, what would be some of the worst names for a touring Sevens team you can think of? There was one called the Cunning Stunts. Oh yeah, I love the Cunning Stunts. That's always my pub, pub, pub quiz nickname, that is. Really, yeah. yeah. Or they would just became the stunts then, um, the the stunt servants, which yeah, rather rude, rather rude. If you uh, know the real meaning of it, how about you? Any any terrible ones you've heard? Um, not here, but there are some some that do tickle me every time I look at the. Uh, we used to go to these tournaments, or they pop up on the pod instagram page as well. There's like the seven dwarves, things like that, which I always quite like. But then they are normally cool names like uh samurai marauders assassins like there's always there are always good names you can come up with there um on the invitational circuit nice if you could make your own sevens team what would you call it what would you call it <sighs> probably this is sevens invitational team grow up <laughs> what would you cause i've always wanted to call a team the the Reuters of rohan <laughs> <laughs> And you enter to the Lord of the Rings theme tune. Oh, that would be Because it's from South Wales. There's a high steroid community. So instead of the Riders of Rohan, the Riders uh, of Rohan. Yeah. Uh, that'd be good. Surely, or, or just something around an egg goblin would be good for you. Yeah. The egg goblins. Yeah. The, the Dark Knights. <laughs> yeah. There's loads. Loads you could do with your nick various nicknames. Yeah, that, that is a fair one. Uh, moving on, uh, the Ireland squad for this year's Women's Six Nations includes five members of the Sevens team, including Bevan Parsons, Eve Higgins, Avine Riley, Sam Monaghan and Edel McMahon. That tournament runs from March the 23rd till April the 27th, so congratulations to them. So if they are selected, they would miss Hong Kong 
if they are involved, which is mid-April. Congratulations to them. And in other news, Maddie Ashby has re-signed with Australia Sevens until 2026. The 23-year-old has been pivotal for the Aussies since debuting as a teenager back in 2019. Any thoughts on them, Doc? Yeah, no, just uh, again, the women's game is in a great place, particularly where Australia women's sevens are. They're the superstars at the moment. Uh, amazing to see one of the biggest names in the game signing on and, and committing to staying within the programme. Love to see it. Love to see it. Right, let's hop into a little preview of Vancouver sevens. Do you want to start with the groups or do you want to chat about why Vancouver is such a good tournament? I reckon let's let's go through the groups to begin with, maybe. Um and we can have our wild stab stabs in the dark of who's going to qualify from each group, maybe. Lovely. Let's start with the men's then. Uh, Pool A, Argentina, Canada, Fiji and Spain. Who's getting out of that group? Um, I think definitely Argentina and Fiji. Um, Spain and Canada, obviously near the bottom of the table. As the pools have gone this year, they've obviously, most of them have been savage. I'd actually say that's the one that looks most like the old tournament where you've got maybe two favourites to go through, two that are battling hard to try and push themselves through yeah you got the top two teams and almost the two bottom teams from the the series at the minute yeah i can't see many people toppling argentina at the minute they are back-to-back vancouver sevens champions they beat france last year in the final and fiji in the year previously they're currently two wins from three finals this year and they've actually been involved in nine finals in the last 14 tournaments. So I think as well for them, they've got a lot a lot nicer travel schedule. I think it took them 50 hours to reach Perth, whereas they've just got to hop up the, uh, the coast, the Pacific coast from Argentina to Vancouver. So it won't be as long for them. So that, that should benefit them. Yeah, 100%. Are either of us going to pick them to win? I don't think we have, have we? For any of the other tournaments. Well, well, yeah, we'll 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 see. Who we're, we'll we'll decide who will win after we've done the the, the pools. We always say. Interestingly, how, though, we always say how great yeah, they sorry. are. Then neither of us picks them. Yeah, it's boring if you always pick the good people, isn't it? So interestingly, they've only used fifteen players in three tournaments. So they've obviously got a very solid squad, people they trust, uh, and it's going well for them. So yeah, I think that's an indication of how well they're doing. Is they've got their core set of fifteen boys. And they ain't rotating it and they're just smashing away the opposition with them. Yeah, 100%. They're going to be lethal again. Right, Pool B, Australia, France, Samoa and USA. And the big news coming out of this pool is Anton Dupont has been named in the 14-man squad. Uh, And if he does get selected for the 13 to play, the 27-year-old will make his series debut. That'd be such a laugh from the French Rugby Union if uh, they take him out and make him 14th man after all this, after all this hype. Like, I'm I'm so excited to see him play. Um, We've obviously seen loads of 15s players come over to sevens around the Olympics. Like, the Olympics is quite a big carrot that does get get those lads uh, interested. He's different for me in that pretty much all of the other 15s players that came over, they were, I don't want to say past their prime, they were still flying in their 15s careers, but they weren't, they weren't like in, in their very, very best or they've already done a lot in 15s. He's literally in the prime. He's in all the conversations to be the best 15s player on the planet at the moment. And he's choosing now to try and switch over to come and play and get ready for the Olympics. So I think uh, it's a huge decision from him. I think there's quite a lot of pressure on him, but from how he plays 15s, that doesn't seem to phase him or bother him at all. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, um, it's news that, excites me more than probably anything else so far this year is the fact that he's actually going to play and we're going to see see him involved 
Yeah, it's exciting. Like you said, he's come in his prime. He is arguably one of the world's best players, if not the world's best player. And you can see how much France are struggling without him. Uh, he is their sort of talisman, the player that gets them going. So yeah, looking forward to seeing him play. But it would be hilarious if he's 14th man. Ah, oh, that would be... That part of me just wants that to happen. That would be savage. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just pray that doesn't happen. No, I don't think it will happen. I think we'll see Dupont on the sevens field. And yeah, we talked about it before, but where will he play? Nine? Or will he come in as a forward? It'd be very, very interesting. Yeah, 100%. Pool C, finally, is Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa and Great Britain. Strap your shoulders up, lads. It's a tough old gig for the Great Britain boys. I know that's it's a huge group. Um, it's the pool I'm most excited about. Um, I think the first game is going to be Ireland, Great Britain in this pool, and Great Britain have lost within two points every time they played Ireland so far this year. So they've been so close, but we've obviously seen the difference in where you'll finish on the table if you win those games that are close in the pool, or if you just lose them. Um, just with how far away they are from each other in the in the overall standings. Um, Chucking into the facts, Africa looked like they were starting to find form. And then New Zealand, probably the tournament they wanted to forget, the last one. So there's going to be fireworks in this pool. Um, I actually not sure I could pick which two would go out the, get out of this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, very tough. Uh, New Zealand coming out with some nonsense that they're preparing for the Olympics, which might be true, but they're, they're focusing on that. I think anyone who, like you said, pulls on a, a black jersey, they've got... They've got standards to adhere to, so I think they'll be disappointed to finish so far down the the table. Uh, so they'll be looking for a bit of redemption there. Ireland, obviously, they've got better every tournament. Uh, South Africa welcoming some boys back, people like Roscoe Speckman, uh, and they'll always be up up there. So for Great Britain, who are languishing in last position, it is big for them. I can't see them getting out of the pool. They might cause one or two shocks, but I, I yeah, it's it's a tough old pool. I'd probably say. I think Ireland, New Zealand and South Africa, all three to get out of that pool. Oh, wow. That's a good call. Yeah, actually, to be fair, I think only two will get out of pool A maybe. And then, yeah, maybe three from B and C. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you, but I, I'd like to see Great Britain get out of the uh, get out of that pool. Fair enough. Who do you think is going to win the whole thing? Uh, I think Argentina might win it this year. Surely they're on for the hat trick. Um, and I feel bad. We've, like I was alluding to earlier, we always say how amazing they are, then neither of us pick them to win. So I am going to pick them to win, but that probably means they're now going to lose. But I'm really hoping that they win. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've gone them, so I'm not going to go. I'm just going to go real rogue. Uh, I'm going to go for France. Dupont's mm. going to Dupont's going to turn it on. Now that would be a story. That would be a story. Um, I almost hope, like I really want him to do well. Um. But equally, I think I don't want the wrong kind of press to come out of it where 15s people like see 15s players are so much better than sevens, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I really, I'd love them to get to the final again, though, so that he stays interested and wants to keep going and it keeps the rest of the rugby public interested. Yeah, I could see the culture vultures doing well. Ireland, they've, they've got better every tournament, so could even see them in a final this time. Yeah, yeah, that would be, uh, that would be unreal to see as well. But deep down, I think Argentina are going to win, but I'll just say France for the for the pod. Okay, yeah. We'll cut out the bit where you say what you think is actually going to happen and just keep your keep your France suggestion in there. All right, right. Moving on from the men to the women. 
Pool A, Perth Champions, Ireland, New Zealand, Brazil, South Africa. It's a tough old pool, that one. Um, I think that's you'll see potentially three coming out of that pool uh, with Ireland, New Zealand and Brazil. Uh, New Zealand obviously reigning champions and uh, they're looking to now get back up onto the same level with uh, Australia and uh, yeah, I've got no reason to doubt they will. I'd love to see Ireland back up there winning Perth with a great showing again, whether it's getting to the final or winning the tournament again. Um, I just think keeping new winners going rather than just New Zealand, Australia will keep keep that women's games fresh uh, and keeping all the teams pushing for those top places. Yeah, fair. definitely Ireland, New Zealand to get out of there. Potentially Brazil. Uh, Pool B, Australia, USA, Fiji, Japan. Uh, I think, yeah, for me, Japan are going to have a tough time with that group. Um, Australia, obviously, the informed team. USA looking decent. And Fiji, when they can pull out the bag, they look incredible. So thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, you'll. I think you might see three go through from there as well. Australia, USA, Fiji for me. Um, USA will obviously want to have a big show in on their neighbours' home turf. And um, yeah, Australia, maybe not happy with how it the Perth tournament unraveled. They'll be looking to to hit back and, and win another big tournament. Yeah, that's good points there. Pool C, GB, bronze medalists in Perth, France, Canada, who are the hosts, and Spain. Uh, yeah, so I was chatting to a few of the players in GB and they're obviously already qualified for the Olympics and they've got quite a few players coming back from injury, which is exciting. So I think the squad will look slightly different to the one that was out in Perth, but I think it's another great chance for a slightly different set of the women's team to try and emulate the tournament finish from Perth or even go one step higher, get into that final, get a, get the chance of the silver or the gold medal. Um, obviously, Canada, they'll be looking to go as well as they can in their home tournament. Uh, they obviously had some big news this week with Bianca Ferrella retiring. She's their top try scorer. She's been to two Olympics, won a bronze medal with them. Um, so seeing her retire just before the tournament, I just I did wonder whether she'd want to do one more and, and finish there. Um, but they have been bolstered by Sophie de Goyd, uh coming back into the sevens team, which is uh, she's going to be huge for them, obviously a massive player within their 15s team as well. Um, so from that group, um, yeah, I'm thinking GB and Canada going through. I reckon GB, France and Canada. I think Spain are... Languishing at the bottom of the table, they'll be the whipping, whipping girls of that group. So I think all three of them will get hefty wins over Spain. And I think for that reason, three will go through from that group. Probably three from Pool B and I think just Ireland and New Zealand from Pool A. But we'll see. Um, I think who's going to win it? Australia. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to say New Zealand then. Very likely to be them in the final, but hopefully we do see a bit of an upset like we did in the Perth tournament. Thoughts on Vancouver as a tournament? We both played there. We both love it. A lot of people who we speak to, both players and staff, absolutely love the tournament. Why do you think that is, Doc? I think it's the whole... So when looking at the tournament, it's not just that competition weekend. That's obviously what the fans see, but it's the whole week building up to it. And I think Vancouver, maybe more than any of the tournaments, even something like a Hong Kong or Dubai, I think it just offers so much in the 
week that is unique and different from the other tournaments. Um, everything from the hotel, the downtown area in Vancouver, the ability to get up into the mountains. It's the only cold location we go to. Um, there's like the parks, the beaches, the like walkways up in the forests. Um, it's just a sick, sick, sick week building up to it as a player. And then the tournament week is brilliant. The fans literally turn up in their thousands for the first game and they don't leave until the end of the final. Uh, they support every team that's going, even a team that's playing against Canada. They're all in fancy dress. They're all swigging away as the weekend goes to make it into a really big party. Um, and then after the tournament, the nightlife is just a few streets away from the stadium. So all the teams pile into different places. Normally the Roxy is a big one to head for um, and it's yeah it's just a fantastic tournament from the moment you land and get off the plane all the way to getting back on the plane and heading back to wherever you're going next yeah it's a, it's an awesome venue I've uh, got mountains got sea uh, climate is not too hot because a lot of these places you play it's ex- ex- excruciatingly hot at times you know you're talking high mid 30s sometimes even the 40 degrees out in Australia so yeah, language barrier isn't that different. It, obviously, from a British person, you know, culture is not too dissimilar. Uh, I love it. And like I said, the people are really welcoming. They, they they put a lot of time and effort into the tournament. It's in such a great venue, BC Place. Obviously, the the artificial turf is probably the only negative, but the stadium itself, closed roof, massive jumbotron hanging down. Uh, yeah, and the support is incredible. So I think it will only continue to grow now that they've... Uh, Mixed the women's in with the men's. It was the first time last year that the women's been held at BC Place. So I think it will continue to grow. And yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I hope it's a, a sort of staple on the Seven Series for years to come. I, I hope so too. I was chatting with the uh, media and marketing team. I was hoping to get out there to make some content. Um, they've actually, I think, still, they're on like a one-year rolling um uh, tender for the tournament which I just cannot get my head around like it's such an amazing tournament um world rugby just needs to give them another like four or five year block of it like for me it sits up there with the quality of like a Hong Kong and a Dubai and a Cape Town for me those are the four that should like definitely stay now without any kind of like second thought um and then it's about finding another three to five tournaments that can live up to these four which are setting the standard in their in their own unique way um but yeah i'm i'm actually a little worried in that they are only having a one year by one year i don't know whether that's coming from a rugby canada point of view or a world rugby point of view but i think it would be devastating if it uh disappears from the series yeah, it would be. It would be such an iconic event loved by so many. Um, what is this week's This Is This Isn't Sevens, Doc? Nothing for This Isn't Sevens, unless you've got anything you want to throw in there. No, I think it's been a pretty pretty good week. World Rugby haven't done anything wrong, so we can't really uh, shoehorn it onto them. Should we just give it to them anyway? Just for laugh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so This Isn't Sevens is uh, it's World Rugby for not giving Canada Sevens a longer a longer tenure and contract for the tournament. Um, and then jumping over into This Is Sevens, we're seeing the return of a lot of players for this uh, weekend's Vancouver Sevens. Uh, the headline is obviously DuPont, who's in. Uh, hopefully he doesn't get put as the 14th um the 14th man for the tournament uh, but this week I wanted to give this is sevens to Bianca Ferrella for being the top try scorer for Canada sevens I think it's something like 186 tries um, 
been an incredible uh, role model within women's rugby and rugby around the world um so just to celebrate and recognize the amazing career she's had um and wish her best of luck in whatever comes next so uh, this is sevens is going to bianca forella yep congratulations to her on a fabulous career and like you said good luck to whatever challenge she takes on next um Big shout out to Australian rider Shane Rose, uh, who wore the mankini recently at the equestrian event. He said he'd come on board to help out with socials. Uh, yeah, not sure why he got reprimanded, but just just have have, have a laugh. So yeah, big shout out to him. He's uh, he's going to handle the socials this week. So yeah, if you want to contact him, message him on, on the socials. Uh, remember, we would appreciate uh, you giving us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, remember, if you send that review in, Doc will get you a running plan. Still yet to be claimed. We will keep mentioning it. So yeah, first person to do it, we'll get that running plan. But we would appreciate appreciate a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'll be back next week with a little review of Vancouver and looking ahead to the LA sevens back-to-back tournaments. Doc, any final thoughts? Uh, just, yeah, I, I think the Saturday is sold out already in Vancouver, um, which is such a good sign. Um, so yeah, if you are kind of in and around that Vancouver area listening, you're, I'm in an area, whether you should go, just go find a ticket for the Friday, Sunday, get some fancy dress, get some mates. Like it's honest, it'll be well worth your time and the money that you invest in it. It's such a good tournament. Sweet. Where can we get some mates? Um, I'm sure there's websites or apps these days that sort that kind of stuff out. I've got too many, so I, I don't have that problem. Uh, you should start renting some out then. I'll rent you one. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, Dioch and Vaur. Dioch and Vaur. Salange. So